millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Welcome to Millennial Property. You're with John Pigeon, and a shout out to my co-host uh, Emily Wallace. She is still on the men today, so I am going solo. But I have a special guest. He's a long-time listener, and he was on the show, well, my Millennial Money show, back in September 2020. So if you want to check that episode out, it's episode 239. Uh, he's close to me in person, and he also works in our office as a buyer's agent. But we've got him on today as a ex-real estate agent. So he's going to talk about five tips to sell your property if you're in the market to sell your property or you might think about selling your property in the future. Uh, he's got some outstanding tips for you. So without further ado, let's get into it. Marcus Davison, welcome to the show. It's John. Yeah, good to be here. Now, as I said before, uh, you were on a couple of years ago and you spoke with Glenn and I about how to sell a property. Now, at that stage, you, uh, you were a real estate agent on the Central Coast. You've since jumped to the bright side and you're now working as a buyer's agent with myself at Envisage Property, which is fantastic for me. Uh, but today, we're talking about how to sell your property and, and I suppose uh, you're an experienced investor but you're an agent for, for a number of years. So talk to us about that. Yeah, so correct, John, the shoe is on the other foot. So I've uh, yeah, gone to the bright side and now buys agent, but it's good to have the background of sales as well and uh, sort of know or get in the mind of how real estate agents work and being able to communicate with them uh, day by day with uh, you know the buyers and clients that we have and we're working with. But yeah, got five tips today and I'll get straight into it if you want. So I think the first one is as a seller, you've got to actually think as a buyer. So I, and what I mean by that is you've actually got to take, you know, a little bit of emotion out of it, walk around your own property and you may have been there for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. So there may be a bit of emotion caught up there. So I think just to have a good look around your own home, see what needs to be done around the home. Um, if it's not too costly as in time and money-wise, then that will be possibly something that you could do to, to, to get in to fix up or possibly it may not need to be fixed up. So mm, Okay. So it's an interesting point that the don't, don't think as though you're just selling the property and not thinking about who's buying it. We're, we're actually saying the opposite. We're saying, okay, listen to what maybe the buyer wants out there because uh, what, what we think will sell the house and what actually will sell the house can be completely different. Yeah, no, 100%, 100%. And, and as I said, it's just got to be it's got to be worth it though. You don't want to go in and, and change a whole lot of stuff up. But if you think um, something small can be done and that will improve the home and, and get a better price for you, then I definitely think it's worth doing. So on that tip, 
Uh, who would you speak to in relation to the, the improvements or the things that might need fixing before we, we start to list it with an agent? Because uh, I'm, I imagine you're thinking about this before you've maybe engaged an agent. Would that be fair? Yeah, and you probably did jump a couple of steps because obviously the agent will be one of the ones that can give you some feedback around that. But um, I think if you've been a property owner and you've or you've bought homes before or even just to try and take a little bit of a personal touch out of that home um, just so you're not getting caught up in you know your emotions of you've been in this house for so long I think it's worth this uh, this mm. amount of money when we're possibly might not be so okay yeah. cool all right so tip number one think as a buyer think as a buyer uh, straight in number two so engage your conveyancer so you can't sell your house without a sale of contract so obviously you need to do that pretty early in the process um, it might only take a week or two, but you might need a couple of weeks to engage a conveyancer. So if you don't know one, there's plenty of online platforms out there, you know, obviously Facebook or, you know, I'm sure you just do a local search of conveyances and you might want to interview a couple. Family and friends might have a conveyancer they could recommend. But um, yeah, engaging the conveyancer would obviously be pretty up there in the, in the first couple of steps as well. Okay, so so for the listeners there who haven't done this before or haven't spoken or engaged with a conveyancer, basically their job is to look over the contract uh, or, or create the contract as a seller in the first place and then list in there the terms and conditions that you would like when you're selling your property like uh, settlement timeframes, is it 42 days, is it 30 days, is, is it 90 days because we need time to, to move out and find another place and those sort of things. Uh, but the, the difference between a, a conveyancer and a solicitor is an important one too because a conveyancer specialises in this uh, contract viewing whereas the, the solicitor is more uh, I suppose qualified in a way to be able to look across any legal matters. Um, so conveyancer in, in a lot of cases you would find as a, a cheaper option to have your contract um, assessed and created. Yeah, I think 100%. I think they specialise in that field. So I would usually engage a conveyancer and that's not to say a solicitor isn't able to do that same same kind of work, but I think that's what conveyancers do day in, day out. They're going to do the terms that are going to suit you and, and the sale of your property. So yeah, I would, I would definitely look at the conveyancing side first. You and I had... Uh, lunch with a conveyancer and a solicitor in the in the, on the same table there a few weeks ago, right? Yeah. And the solicitor was able to look across different states as well to to view contracts and to analyze and work on behalf of the client. Uh, whereas the conveyancer is usually only registered in in the state that they're living in or working in. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And it was a good catch up and to get some insight into that as well, which. You know, it was a, a bit of light for me to to understand exactly how the d differences between the conveyances and the solicitors can work, especially over different states. Yeah, cool. Okay, so do your homework, um, engage a conveyancer early, uh, might ring two, three, four firms, as Marcus said, and, and you might get some friend referrals or word of mouth referrals that have had good experiences in the past is always a good one. Yep. Cool. All right. Number three, what do we got? Number three, all right. Well, possibly the most important one, but engaging an agent. So there's going to be plenty of debate around this one of, of how you go about it. And I, I think for me personally, if you're, you're probably going to have to look over a few agents and, and possibly interview, interview up to five agents, I would think. And the way to narrow this down is just a, a simple search. You know, you could get some obviously um, feedback from friends or family or whoever that may have dealt with agents over the time. But going through the uh, interview process is a good way to determine if you 
I guess, firstly, get along with this agent? Um, how is their communication? Are they giving honest feedback? Uh, what sort of results have they had in the past? What sort of experience have they had? So I think there's almost five steps in interviewing an agent. You could probably do a whole podcast on, but the main thing is you have to feel comfortable, believe they can do the right job for you, have some honest feedback, especially around pricing because you don't want to go in get told it's worth a certain amount of money and then three weeks, four weeks gone past, no offers, you're chasing the market down, especially in the market we're at in the moment in some places where you know prices have dropped. So you don't want to be in that position where it's on the market, gets too stale. So you actually want some honest feedback and then you even want to have some honest feedback with yourself. And as I said in the first first part was, you know, think as a buyer, you know, what would help sell this property, what will not help sell this property and then work around that. Yeah, okay. There's, there's an awesome website called Rate My Agent and you can jump on there and, and type in your postcode and, and it will come up with a, a list of uh, agents that have performed well in your area and that's as judged by the, the public. So that's a pretty honest feedback of, uh, of agents in the area. But uh, in, in your time as a, as a real estate agent on the, on the dark side, what was your niche, I suppose? What, what do you think made you stand out from other agents in the area? What did you want to do really well? Uh, honesty and communication was my biggest thing. So I wanted to go in with honest feedback. Now, whether I got uh, engaged to do that property, it didn't really make a difference because my integrity meant more at that time and still does than trying to just get a listing for the sake of getting a listing. So that's why I really think that honest feedback at the start, um, just so everyone's on the same page, it's hard to give honest feedback to a seller because there's, again, so much emotion wrapped up in selling your own property. You know, there could be a, a few circumstances around why you're selling that property. So, but I think at the end of the day, that always wins that honesty. And I think communication as well. So if you go to engage an agent and their communication from the very start, like they're not getting back to you or they're not, you know, returning phone calls or text messages or whatever it is, then that's already a little red flag for me already. Yeah. So I think communication is key as well as honesty. And then, um, yeah, but that would be my two takeaways from when I was, yeah, selling probably. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I can see that communication piece um, shining out in what you do for us at Envisage at the moment as well. Really important. Um, that uh, clear expectations and giving the seller some honesty is extremely important right at the start, isn't it? And and more so from the benefit of the seller because we, we've got a situation here at the moment where a, a friend of mine selling a property and they've had it on the market for eight weeks and the expectation from the agent to him uh, early days was higher than what I think he realistically could get in the market. As you said, the market's uh, moved a little bit at the moment. So that vendor expectation versus the the honest feedback from the agent, I don't think was there. And as a result, he's potentially wasted eight weeks and a campaign where the average person's looking at that property saying, oh, there's something wrong with that property or, or they're asking too much or that we can go in hard for a discount. And I think it's back on the agent saying, well, they won the job or the listing because they gave this person the highest price, not the actual honest price. Yeah. And on that, I think you can get away with that in a good market. Mm. So everyone looks good in a good market. Like you, you yeah. could tell them uh, quite a big price and, hey, you might luck out and get it and you're the, the best in the business. But in a, in a you know, falling market or a, or a harder market, then 
that stuff goes out the door. And that's why the good agents will always last. You know, they'll, they'll have that honesty. They may miss out on a few properties, but they'll still be there, you know, four or five, ten years down the track. Yeah. And that probably brings it to another point. As you said, you could do a whole podcast on <laughs> choosing an agent. But uh, how long – a question to them is how long have you been working for this firm? Like if if you've been – in the industry 20 years and you've had 10 different agency firms, I'm sorry, but you're not for me. Yeah, 100%. I think that's, yeah, obviously experience is key. And if they've jumped ship, you know, in the last, you know, three years on three different agencies, then I'd be a little bit wary from the start. And I'd also say though, some agents specialize in certain properties. So if you're sitting on a unit or apartment or you're sitting on acreage or, you know, apartment, whatever it might be, there might be a certain agent that actually specializes in that and that's someone who I'd also possibly interview around the, the process as well. So the type of property you're selling does make a difference. Okay, cool. So engage the agent and, and ask some good questions. Uh, tip number three. So yep. number four, what do we got? Uh, let's go into presentation. So I guess this is going to come back for some feedback from the agent um, and just some honest feedback from from yourself when you're in the property as well. So the presentation, so, you know, making sure lawns and gardens are maintained, making sure there's no, um, you know, holes in the wall, there's uh, floorboards are fixed or, you know, again, it's not something where you want to go in and keep putting your hand in your pocket and if it's not going to get the return. And this is where you need to discuss with an agent. And again, going back to that honest feedback from the agent, okay, do you think this is worth doing? Will this make a difference to my property? If I spend 10000 here, do you think it'll get me another twenty or thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 extra? So I think um, the presentation of your home is obviously key because, uh, you know, first impressions matter and uh, even street appeal. So even someone just driving past and seeing the sign up, that's going to make a big difference. And if the lawns aren't done, the guns aren't manicured, um, you know, the, the brickwork's all looking shabby, then I think that makes a difference and buyers always look to how they can get a discount. So if you're not presenting it in a certain way, then buyers are already looking for a discount on that property. Yeah, no, it's a really important one and I think it's a, actually quite an easy one, isn't it, to, to mow the lawns and clean the bricks and, and make it look presentable but it's often overlooked because it's too hard basket. So if you're thinking, oh, I can't be bothered doing all that, just think, well, it may actually create an extra 10, 15, 20 grand for you because of the way it presents but but uh, outsource it and pay someone to do it if uh, and just factor it into the cost of doing business. But on the whole presentation piece and I'm, I've got some mixed thoughts around this. Are we going vacant possession? Like a, if it's owner-occupier, investor, two different conversations but are we, are we moving everything out um, or are we keeping furniture in there? Are we uh, getting a stylist in to style the property? Like where do we go and how far can we go with that? Yeah, I think staging is definitely uh, something that should be looked at more because um, it can definitely make a difference. You obviously want to get rid of personal items as in pictures around the place of the family because you want a buyer to walk in and think, okay, I want to live in this home. Um, I don't want to picture, you know, relatives that were here yeah. before us. So I think personal items are definitely um, something I get rid of. And then also the feedback from, from the agent about staging and I think this is – can sometimes be a hard conversation because a lot of owners think my property looks amazing the way it is. I've got it set up exactly how I love it, but that's how they love it. It may not be how the buyer loves it. So um, it's a bit of a hard conversation and another honest one, but I think 
a lot of the times it is warranted to have staging done. Yeah, so would that depend on the value of the property that you're selling? Like if you're selling a, a $3 million property versus a, a $700,000 property, like do we go and spend more money because we're selling it for higher price? Yeah, so if the heading's renovator's delight, well then obviously <laughs> you're not staging it too much. Um, but yeah, no, 100%. I, th- I think there might be a certain price point and obviously getting in closer to the around the million dollar mark, it makes more of a difference. So if, yeah, if you're looking at cheaper property and that house does need a lot of work, well then possibly it doesn't and you're probably going to sell it more to a, a flipper or a renovator or you know maybe even a first home buyer that are happy to do some work to it. But yeah, you're 100% right. The, the pricing would work around the staging. Yeah, okay. And and finally on that point, what are your thoughts on virtual staging, which for, for everyone out there is basically saying, well, I look online, the property looks magnificent. It's got this beautiful lounge room. It's got a, a beautiful layout, beautiful colorings, all these sort of things. And we know it's virtual. So we turn up to the property and there's nothing in there. Yeah, it's a bit of a tricky one, the virtual staging. I, I think it's similar to when the photos are done and they do a little <laughs> bit of photoshopping with it and you get there and the lawns look disgusting. Uh, they're all brown and dirt and uh, in the pictures they're nice and green. So virtual staging, I think um, I think online as a picture, I, I think I like it because um, you can then see it in 3D what it looks like instead of you having to just look at a blank picture and then, oh, okay, I could put the dining table here or the lounge here or TV here. So I actually think online with virtual staging is is pretty good. I don't even mind the 3D, uh, the 3D walkthrough where you can uh, move the camera in any direction, look up at the ceilings, look down the floors, walls. Um, that's become a little bit more popular as well. Yeah, yeah. Look, uh, times have changed, haven't they? From the days where we'd re- read it in the newspaper that there's going to be an open home this weekend, and uh, no, no internet as <laughs> such. But uh, showing your age, but uh, yep. that's four amazing tips for for go- people out there that are, are wanting to sell a property. We'll take a break and we'll come back and finish this one off. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. 
All right, so just recapping, um, the first four tips for selling a property, think as though you're a buyer, number one. Number two, we need to engage a, a good, competent conveyancer uh, or, or solicitor if you desire. Number three, engage, a again, a competent agent that you can relate to and, and, and ask good questions to, to shortlist the agent that you're going to list uh, with and, and don't just go on price. Uh, number four is presentation and how we stage that property and, and the work we put in to make it nice and clean and presentable and appealing for someone that's going to buy your property. Uh, last but not least, number five, and this is all in no particular order uh, um, as you can see, but what, what have we got for the fifth tip, Marcus? All right. I've uh, probably circled back a little bit here, but my last tip is is no emotion. So taking emotion out of the sale of your own property now, a lot easier said than done because everyone loves their own property or usually loves their own property and get caught up in it and you put it on the market and you get a low offer and you freak out at the agent and you know, you're already in the emotional roller coaster of, of, of selling your home. So you've actually got to try and just be a little bit non-emotional about it. Um, and, and again, going back to thinking as the buyer and what would they want in this house would help take some emotion out of it as well. So yeah, I've circled back a little bit, but I, I think just try and take the emotion out of it so you're not getting caught up in the in the roller coaster of the real estate industry. Yeah, okay. So I had a call with someone yesterday, reached out um, with a clarity call, and they were wanting to know whether they should sell their property in this market that's, I suppose, subdued a little bit and, and maybe readjusted itself. So we had to put things in perspective because they'd bought for I think it was like two hundred and no three three hundred twenty thousand, and the expectations in the hot market, which was twelve months ago, was probably somewhere around the sevens, and they'd spent some money renovating it. So there's still some nice juicy profit in it, but as a result of the readjusting market, the the agents are saying probably around the six fifty to six sixty now. So it's probably come back. Um, 40 or 50k from what the expectations were 12 months ago. So this really leans in on the emotional part of it is like, okay, we've put a lot of work into this. We saw it was worth seven. Now it's probably only worth 650. Do we now just um, throw throw the toys out of the cot and hold it for the next five years and wait for it to crap back up to 700? Like that, that's emotion 101, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. And I wouldn't want to be in a, in a flipper's shoes at the moment when they possibly bought 12 months ago and then now it's a, it's a falling market. But yeah, 100%. If you've done some improvements to a property and now you're definitely caught up and I've spent this much money, I think it's worth this much money, I need to get this much money, you, you're pressuring the agent to get this much money. At the end of the day, and it's the old saying, but the market is the market and, and that's what price you're going to get. So if you put it out there, present it well, you're going to get what it's worth at that time. So take the good and the bad with that, whether your timing's good or bad. Uh, again, as you said, that's the emotion of real estate and you've got to take that out. Yeah. So if you're selling an investment property, I think it's a bit easier to, to stomach uh, to sell for what the market's suggesting. But when you're selling your own rock, I feel as though it's a, there has to be some level of emotion in it, doesn't it? Because they're, they're giving up this home that they might have lived in, as you said, for 20 years. Uh, and uh, we've, there's, there's, uh, there's emotions building up throughout the journey. They might be throwing out stuff that they've owned there for ages. They're, they're cleaning up the property. 
they're thinking about who's going to be living in it, which isn't going to be them. It, uh, it's there's the heaps of emotion. So it's a it's a great tip to be able to say remove the emotion or at least reduce the emotion and apply some logic to it. Yeah, as I said, easier said than done, especially if you have been in your home for a long time. And and I totally get it. I've been in that situation and think my home's worth this, and I only got that. So yeah, yeah, it is a tough one, but yeah, I think. Taking that out, um, taking the emotion out of it, out of the sale of your own home will help a lot. Okay, cool. So on that, and I suppose rounding this out, uh, we, we always say time in the market will beat timing of the market. But at the minute, and, and you work through uh, a lot of New South Wales and a lot of regional centres and, and capital city, et cetera, is it a good time to sell your property right now? Oh, that's a that's a big question, John. Um, <laughs> look, I think it's uh, if it's a means to an end, then obviously, yeah, sell your property. If you if you're downsizing, um, you know, if you're buying and selling in the same market, then it makes no difference. So, mm-hmm. so if that's the case as an owner occupier, if you're, you know, if you've got a big home, you're going to sell it, and then you're downsizing to a smaller home, it's going to even out at the end. So, I think it depends what you what you want to do. If you were to look back. You know, 12 months ago, there was probably a lot of investors all selling because it was a height of the market. So, mm-hmm. so now we're seeing a little bit of lack of supply because the market has fallen a little bit. Investors are sitting on their hands a bit um, and, and there's not as much stock out there. So I think it's a yeah, pretty good market to sell. Yeah, well, it, it, interesting and it reminds me of something, a conversation I had with uh, my young bloke this morning, Charlie. I turned on Sky News and to check the World Cup and the, and the cricket results and a stat came up that said uh, property prices have dropped by 6.9%, I think it said. And and Charlie took that and said, oh, Dad, that's a good thing. And I looked at him and I'm like, okay, this is interesting. He's nine years old and he's think that uh, dropping, uh, falling prices are a good thing. And I said, tell me what you mean by that. He goes, well, it allows more people to uh, get their own property. I'm like, well, that's very noble of you, mate. Mm-hmm. Um, however, as a seller, we're saying, well, Six months ago, we could have got 7% higher than what we've potentially got now. Now, obviously, they're global headlines and that's it's every property is different. But if we could time the market, ideally, we would want to be waiting for that to recover back up. But someone's situation um, may be different and they may be forced to sell. And I suppose that's the nature of the market. But your point about buying and selling in the same market is really relevant, isn't it? Because it is what it is. Like you, you buy something for 10% under, but you're probably taking a 10% haircut when you sell. So it evens out. Yeah. So let me phrase it. Is it a market to selling? If you're an occupier and it's a means to an end, 100%. If you're an investor and you don't need to sell, then you might want to just sit on your hands for a while if you're getting a decent rent from it. Obviously, the rental market's pretty uh, strong at the moment. Those, those prices seem to keep going up. Vacancy rates keep going down. Mm. So I think as an investor, depending on like, obviously, there's markets within markets. But I think as an investor right now, if you didn't need to sell, then possibly wouldn't. If you're an owner occupier and it's a means to an end, you're downsizing, upsizing, whatever it might be, then I think it's a good time to sell. So 
probably dancing around the question a little bit. No, but that's good. <laughs> as, as an agent, you're allowed to do that. Don't worry about that. Um, but shout out to all the agents out there because, uh, again, it's probably been a good two or three years for you guys in respect to selling property. Uh, now things are a little bit different, aren't they? And, and I think the good agents will shine through and, and it may be harder to get listings. It may be harder to sell the properties. The properties are going to stay on the market for longer. Instead of the 14 days on the market, it might be 40 days or longer. Uh, so it's it's really uh, – they're going to earn their dollars over the next uh, – year or so aren't they yeah 100 they're, they're definitely working harder now and even obviously in in our field now as a buyer's agent we're getting a lot more emails a lot more calls a lot more text messages we've got a price reduction we've got an off market um so yeah they're definitely working harder and and as i said before the honest and the good ones the ones that communicate the ones that have kept their connections will always stay in stay in the game and, and be and have good business over over whatever market it, it is. But um, yeah, there's there'll be a couple out there possibly struggling, but you know, hopefully they work work through it and work hard and yeah, keep going. Fantastic, now, great tips, Marcus. Five of the five of the finest tips you'll see. So that's that. But I'm going to keep you on because I've got some uh, a bit of data that I wanted to share with the listeners today. Um, that I came across just this week and it, and it's talking about, well, first of all, I'll uh, explain where it's from and it's a company called Charter Keck Kramer who basically the largest independent property advisory firm in the country, which is quite a big deal because they're across residential, commercial, specialised health and aged care, government, hospitality, childcare, the whole work. So um, they do a lot of research and present a lot of data to people. But it was interesting, and I've shared this with you this morning in preparation, but it's interesting what they were talking about in respect to overseas migrants. Um, so the key highlights from the research that they've done is around 70% of overseas migrants enter the rental market upon arriving in Australia. The highest is in Sydney, 60, uh, 76% of renters, and the lowest is in Perth, 62% renters. So basically the rental market is acting as an initial outlet for many overseas migrants, which makes sense. They get to the country and they say, well, okay, I need to live somewhere, roof over my head, might not have a deposit, we'll go and rent. So that absolutely makes sense. Sydney's the place they're going to most. But the next part is the interesting part. There's a consistent transition from renting into owning and from occupying apartments and townhouses into detached houses in the 20 years from the date of arrival. The greatest proportion of migrants make this transition between four to seven years from arrival across all capital cities. Now, let's dig into the weeds on this. What what they're basically saying, Marcus, is, well, okay, we come to the country we rent in capital cities, nominally um, affordable, which is probably one bedroom, two bedroom units or apartments, which can potentially bring the vacancy rates down because the demand from overseas is, has now picked up because of the pandemic being essentially on its knees. But then they're quickly wanting to transition to housing in that on average four to seven year period. So that can really play around with the vacancy rates, can't it? Yeah, as you said, it's maybe a bit of a false economy around the around the renting and the vacancy rates because yeah, they're all coming here. We've got our gates back open. The pandemic's over. Everyone's coming back in. Needs a place to to rent, and they're maybe only staying there for four to five years, and then looking for a detached house, um, possibly somewhere. And depending on whether they're renting that or purchasing that, um, they might even move out of the area. So 
obviously the stat says it's mostly in Sydney, but that doesn't mean that like they get jobs here, a lot more working from home. They might want to move to Central Coast, Newcastle, Wollongong, down South Coast. They might want to move out of the skirts of, of Sydney and still be able to work from home or do a, do a slight commute. So then in the next few years, yeah, vacancy rates will be quite low through apartments and units. But then if you're looking long term, which we always do, uh, especially as investors, then that might change over the next three, four, five years and, and you might be left with um, a vacant property. Yeah. So it, it, I suppose I wanted to bring this sort of data to people listening in because we often have a short-term view of things and we, we go to places like SQM Research for vacancy rates and we can look at it right now in most parts of the country and we can say, well, sub 1% vacancies and and 3% um, for, for listeners is a, is quite a normalised vacancy rate market. Um, 2% awesome, 1% outstanding, 5% is oversupply. So when we see sub 1%, it's like, okay, we've done our checks and measures, the 1% vacancy is fine, we can go and buy there or invest there only to find that that can creep back up very quickly. So I suppose what we're saying is just be wary of uh, of the long-term trends of that and uh, the migration in and the supply and demand in certain pockets of the country uh, and more importantly, the, the, the inner cities within the capitals. Yeah, 100%. And I think like the vacancy rate, like interest rates, like the real estate market, there's so many ups and downs when you look over a 10, 15, 20-year period. So to think that it's always going to be a, a sub 1% vacancy rate over the next, you know, three, four, five years would be quite silly. You know, if you look at history, everything's always gone up and down. So that's why you've got to make sure you do all your checks and balances at the very start, if, especially if, obviously if you're an investor and, uh, and be able to, you know, forecast that in that, hey, I might have a, a slight vacancy here. But, you know, obviously at the moment, it's all happy days. Everyone needs yeah. a place to rent. But, you know, as you just said, we need to talk well, think about long-term and obviously as we do, we're always thinking long-term. Absolutely. Marcus Davison uh, from Envisage Property, fantastic to have you on today. Uh, wealth of knowledge uh, and the, the great thing I, I like about you is you've been on both sides of the fence, as I said at the start of the episode. You've, um, you've been a real estate agent, you're now a buyer's agent, so you get to see it from, from both sides and You've also been a long-time investor as well, so you're living and breathing it, which is, uh, which is really important. So if they want to find you, where are they going to find you? I'm next to you usually, John. <laughs> I'm sitting here in Envisage office. Yeah, so uh, yeah, it's good to have the, my shoe on the other foot now and working as a buyer's agent and working alongside you and the team here at Envisage. But yes, yeah, so I'll be here at Envisage looking for our clients. Uh, we've got a few clients on the go at the moment, so um, yeah, we better get back to work, eh? We better get back to work, yeah. So if anyone wants to look at in buying investment properties in uh, New South Wales or anywhere else around the country for that matter, just uh, drop us a line, envisageproperty.com.au. Bit of an organic plug there. If you like what you hear and you're a long-time listener or even just a first-time listener that's quite happy with what you've tuned into today, then feel free to give us a five-star rating. We always appreciate the, the feedback on that. But until next time, we will chat to you soon.
We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Taking your property journey to the next level starts with education. That's why we make this podcast, but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps. I've created the Solvair Online Academy, open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors, where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space. And if you're a first home buyer, I have the course just for you. Everything from pre-approval all the way through into your settlement and everything in between. How to place an offer, how to bid at auction, what to even look for at an open home and what questions to ask the agents. It's all covered in my online course. Follow the links in the show notes to sign up and get started today. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.